0: Je vole
2: sous le soleil Sans toi, rien n'est pareil Je vole sous ton ciel Je vole sous les nuages Tu as laissé tes bagages Je vole sous un toi Tes
1: bras sont loin de moi. Bonjour, listeners, and welcome to another kind of episode of Ruler Mark. All right, I'll be honest, I'm not going to lie. It's not an episode of Ruler Mark because I'm still trapped in Melbourne. But as you'll all know, I've been working on this new podcast with my husband. It's called Dish. And on each episode, we invite a special guest to our island and ask them what their desert island dish would be. And think about it, if you could only one dish for the rest of time, what would you choose? So why am I sharing this week's episode on Ruler Well, our special guest is Julia Zamira, who, as I'm sure many of you will all know, was born in France. She has very strong connections to France. So naturally, our discussions on dish led to France. And it was great you get to hear her speak French and everything. It's really lovely. So until more episodes of Mark come out, I really hope you'll enjoy this very, very special episode of Dish. Also, just as a little hint, I don't know how many Francophiles out there are also mad Savage Garden fans, but I know that I am one of those people. And this week on Dish, Paul and I also get to speak with Darren Hayes. I know. I lost my mind. If you want to just hear me basically gushing for 45 minutes, tune into the episode. But honestly, Darren speaks really candidly about absolutely everything from the eating disorders that he battled for a lot of his earlier life to his really rough childhood and then to his incredible and inspiring start in music and to the place that he's at now in his life where he is kind of getting ready for what he hinted could be a pretty big comeback. I know that I would love a Darren Hayes album. That could potentially get me through 2021. I'm sure you feel the same. So please do tune in and listen. Julia Zamira was last week's episode. I've popped that in your feed. And tomorrow on The Dish Feed, Darren Hayes. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it?
0: Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us... Hello! hello, ...will ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip and culinary secrets.
1: But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody
0: love food. Welcome to Dish. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dish... Coming up later on the show, we've got an amazing guest you are absolutely going to love. But first, Tegan, I already know the answer to this because I've had them in my bell bell, but have you baked anything new this week?
1: I have been baking up a storm, Paul, but thank you so much for asking. Uh, I've tried quite a few things this week. I tried a new bicky, because we bloody love a bicky in oh, this household. Yes.
0: Now, what did I call those?
1: I don't want to repeat what you called these lovely biscuits. They're called thumbprint biscuits.
0: <laughs> call them finger blast biscuits. Stop
1: it! <laughs> You, you child. I'm
0: sorry, but now you got these from Gourmet Traveller. And- yes,
1: yes. This is a recipe from Jess Elliot Dennison. Mm-hmm. And I saw them in the magazine. I thought they looked scrummy popped them in the oven and you know what? They were really scrummy. They just
0: worked straight off the bat. They're
1: like a, a jam, what do you call Like them? a jammy dodger. No, no, not a jammy dodger. Jam drop. They're like a jam drop biscuit. <laughs> I don't
0: know what a jam drop biscuit is. Well, basically. It's, it's a like thin... a finger blast biscuit, right?
1: Stop it. <laughs> it's like a jam drop biscuit, yep. except you mix herbs through and it's a little bit drier because it has an almond meal in there. So I was getting kind of biscotti vibes. Yeah. Meats jam what? drop.
0: Okay. So it's like a biscotti with a bit of jam in it, but you put rosemary through this one. Right? I put
1: Rosemary and my mum's apricot jam. Yes. And that fusion turns out lovely. Yeah. But I also tried bread for the first time we this week. We need to
0: talk about your bread.
1: It was okay. It was, look,
0: here's the problem. I said, that's a good muffin.
1: This is the thing. (laughs) So I don't know if it's that we're buying the wrong type of flour. We're getting the cheap flour from the supermarket, and I think that could be the big problem. But we've both tried bread now, and it's come out a little dense. A little sweet. And I know that there is an alchemy to bread. I'm very aware that I'm not going to get this on my first swing at it. Mm -hmm. But it's all been tasting far too sweet, and I don't like a sweet bread. But I followed Paul Hollywood's recipe in his – I think it's his 100 favourite loaves or something like that. We got his book. Uh, I'm really happy in that the first loaf I made – you know, it looked like bread, but it wasn't scrummy enough that I want to come back and visit it every day. So, I do need to improve on that bread process. What's
0: interesting is I tried a loaf a couple of weeks back using the same flour. And I'm starting to think, much like with everything else we cook, if you go for the good ingredients, it tastes completely different.
1: So, I've bought a fancy flour. Yeah. I went out and I got a fancy one. It's called Spitfire Flour. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, it's either going to defend us from the German invasion or... It's going to make a really good loaf of bread. I'm not sure which one.
0: Just throwing a cob loaf at the Jerry's. (laughs) Anyway, so hopefully that pans out well. But, you know, this brings us on to our guest, actually, because our guest... She is she fought in Dunkirk? What are you getting at here? Well, she's half French, and, you know, the French love their bread. They is... do indeed. Yeah.
1: Today's guest is a TV presenter, actor, comedian, radio host, singer. You might have seen her on Rockwiz or hosting Eurovision or...
0: Or Julia Zemiro's Home Delivery. Oh, that's the name. Oh,
1: that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> We've given it away. Yeah. Look, we cannot express how excited we are to have Julia Zemiro on the show. If there's anyone who can survive the horrors of this island, maybe we... it's her. <laughs>
0: completely given trying to sell it as a livable place, haven't we?
1: I have to admit that if the SAS guy didn't make it, I don't know how Julia's going to go, but you never know. Well,
0: here she is, Julia Zamiro.
2: Hello there, Tegan and Paul.
1: I saw you play Lady Macbeth. You are fucking joking. I was right there. I was with you with the whole mother's milk bit. It was just really, really weird and wild. It was great. Tegan, that's exciting. Yeah, what? Hang on, what? Do you, mother's milk. You know, they turning my milk to gall. I, I don't know. I don't know. Come, you
2: spirits, to turn on mortal thoughts and sex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop the access. And passage or something. Yeah, take my milk for gall. So she's based. They're basically saying, don't make me a woman in any way. I don't want to feel any emotions or be soft like a woman because I'm gonna kill tonight. I mean, it's an upbeat play. It's a
0: real. <laughs> it's the feel goodery is through the roof. But the problem yeah. Julia, of course, is that I was actually in a production of Macbeth. I did a few weeks, <gasps> and I played the Thane of Ross. So did you? Well, I was. Th- he's the first character that walks out on stage. Yes, he is. And mm. I had this sort of brain snap where one one night, oh. about a weekend, I walked out and just opened my mouth and nothing came out. I pulled paused for about what felt like 90 seconds and I mean I would have saved a lot of lives in the Macbeth universe had I not talked you know
2: (laughs) I have to say forgetting your lines on stage really has to be one of the worst things that can happen to a performer just it is have you had that happen before Yes, I did a fantastic, you know, we're at university, Sydney Uni and a bunch of us women got together we did a women's cabaret and it was great. It was called Vera Go-Go's. and Goes um, and we did all different bits of different parts. So we got a great monologue from here and we get a great song from there and it was amazing. And on opening night, it's full house and I opened the second half with a fantastic monologue from a play by Sarah Daniels, I think, or Masterpieces. Anyway, and it's a great funny monologue about a woman, you know, with three kids, you know, on the dole in England and great. Anyway, it's going great. And I get to about the third page of it in my mind and I get this big laugh on something and I'm like, and I got a bit distracted, I think, by the great big laugh and the reaction and then lost my place. And, you know, you do what you did hanging in there and you hang in there and at first the audience starts to laugh because they think it's sort of this funny dramatic pause or something and then the dawning on all of us that I had forgotten where I was and they're now feeling sorry for me and I'm searching in my mind and then all of a sudden page seven of the monologue came to me so you've missed all this stuff in between (laughs) oh anyway get out there do it now robin butler who wrote um upper middle bogan and librarians she was in this show as well and i get off stage and i'm about to burst into tears and she said nope come on stick you got a bloody come on hang in there you got to just go for it don't worry about it now worry about it later and she was right but at the end of the show, when we're all meeting all our friends and chatting, I just felt like
1: shit. Oh, that's so sad, and it I makes know. me feel so bad. But it's so—I mean, it's got to happen at some point. Yes. It's got to happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I learned a lot from it. But I did have to have someone sit on book for the next two weeks of this run, just in case. I think it, I, I forgot it. I think it's about preparation. I hadn't quite properly, deeply prepared and perf- and rehearsed it enough.
0: I think. Let's say, okay, let's, let's apply this to food. Let's say you've got a recipe and you are cooking the recipe from memory. Let's say you've gone on holiday and you don't have the recipe with you, right? Mm. And there's time pressure because you're cooking for somebody and then you forget a big chunk and then you skip to page the figurative page seven. <laughs> is, is it going to be edible? Is the effort enough? Can you salvage mm. things that way?
2: okay well as you well know you know if as we've seen so many times on on the televisions particularly the children's master chef oh there was an episode with a little girl and her her thing was baking she was a brilliant baker you didn't have there wasn't a better baker in a lot of them and they finally get a challenge with to bake and she completely forgets the flour oh in the cake yeah. like she's just you know what I mean she just has a complete now that cake won't be great you know there are things you can't Especially with baking and all that, but with savoury, I reckon you can always improvise, can't you? There's always something in the cupboard that you can get out. It'll be a little bottle of ketchup, mana, still put in there and go a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of salt, or it might be, um, oh, you know, what can I? I need some rice or something to, to sort of soak it all up, or you'll chuck in some cream or some yogurt to save something. But I mean, yeah, I think baking's a tough one, but you've always got to try. They're the best moments, aren't they, when it all goes horribly wrong?
1: I, I do agree, but I think that all those those wonderful solutions that you were rolling off then, those come to somebody who has that Grounded. ingrained, yeah, the grounding in that cooking instinct. And I I believe that you have such a long and wonderful history with food. Am I right that you grew up on top of a restaurant, Paul was telling me? You yes, lived above I'm- a restaurant? Yeah, we did.
2: So um, my mum's Australian. She went to France. She met my dad there. He had done lots of different things. But when they came to Australia, um, in King's Cross, there was this very fancy French restaurant called Le Trianon, and my dad was a waiter there and then became front-of-house sort of maitre d'. And I think you watch them all cooking and think, well, I can't cook. I'm not trained, but I'd really love to run my own business. And let's face it, small business, Australia, that's the thing to do in mm. 1970, whatever it is, too. And he bought a going concern, and it was a restaurant. He bought the business in Bondi Road in Bondi, and it was called the Home Cooking Restaurant. And for a $1.25, you got a three-course meal. <gasps> I know. I know. Happy times. Happy times so you but, I mean and, and and just let's just let's just pull back your expectations on that though so it was an Aussie restaurant it was Aussie food or let, let's say more English food so you could get you'd get a soup a bowl of soup and then a roast of your choice so that you'd either get roast chicken or roast beef or roast lamb and then there'd be you know baked potato and three veg And then for dessert, you'd get rhubarb or perhaps a jelly and ice cream or steam pudding with custard. And my dad, being French, looked at this food and just went, what is this? But the restaurant was full every night and really popular and it opened at 5 and it closed at 8 and um yeah i know and it was it was great it was a going concern and did really well and he learned how to cook this rather basic food but basically learn how to run a business how to run a kitchen and um and then years later he was able to get a you know his own restaurant where he did plenty of french food but totally self-taught would never call himself a chef but to live on top of a restaurant is quite exciting and fun and you get home from school and there'd be the industrial fridge and there'd be our fridge and you know when dad eventually thought can we have a bit more than just you know jelly and ice cream he started making chocolate mousse and there'd always be a little chocolate mousse in the personal fridge for me so I'd have that every Thursday so yeah it was it was a nice adventure and when you see how food is made all the time and it's just part of your world You start to not think it's anything special or weird, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just well, the problem with me is I'm picturing when you said you lived above a restaurant, I had like Phantom of the Opera in my head, like (laughs) like you guys were hiding in the roof of a restaurant.
2: No, we just that's just where we lived above it. You see, so we had a little lounge room up there, and a bathroom, and my bedroom, my mom's bedroom. You know, it was it wasn't fancy, that's for sure. We did have a nice view over the back of. Uh, Not Bondi Beach. We're more up the road there, but over the houses. And um, I've always loved living up high in an apartment—not super high, just like a couple of floors up. Mm. But you also see how hard the job is. It's a very difficult job. And I, you know, my dad would come up and kiss me goodnight while he was, you know, during service, and he'd be sweating. And I'd sometimes go down and bring him a little cold face washer just to Mm. sort of wash it. And you see from the beginning that it's—it's hard work. It's basically peeling a lot of potatoes and peeling a lot of carrots and especially for that food. And then later when I waitressed for him in his French restaurant, yeah it's as you know, you know there's I think there's always a real fantasy around how easy running a, a food business is and it, it just isn't.
1: It seems to be from you know the few people that I've spoke to within the industry. That there is, there are quite a few parallels between, you know, comedy and the sort of path that, that we've gone down, Julia, And that there's a lot of glamour from the outside, but then mm. you've really, really got to love it because there's a lot of slogging away as well. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of peeling potatoes.
2: <laughs> yeah, and also
1: you know we often
2: um, I, I waitressed a lot too, mm. and I have I kid you not my years of waitressing including three years at the Spaghetti Treat the top of Burke Street there oh there you go uh, yeah where people did come to uh, eat before or after Phantom of the Opera uh, at the Princess, um, but I think waitressing actually when you're going out there and trying to win people over by and book because you hope you'll get a tip yeah but also serve them well. I mean, that's made me the MC I am today. I have no doubt that's part of the training and the three is at acting school and all the rest. But to me, to have to always go out there and meet new people, new people, new people, win them over, deal with them, deal with how rude they can be, deal with how difficult they are, deal with how lovely they are, um, do celebrations, all of that. It was always about feeling like you are the conduit to them having a good time in this restaurant. And and the idea of putting on a bit of a show. And, you know, people say with the kitchen backstage, in a kitchen feels like backstage on in a theatre and then you'll come out full of smiles and ready to go
1: that's fascinating I've never actually thought of it like that but you're right there is so much performance in waitressing or waitering especially if you if you want that tip at the end yeah, of the we, night
0: no we can't let normies find this out Julia and Tegan because otherwise they'll start to because as- you know how people <laughs> people find that like people in the entertainment industry are working in hospitality they'll start to think of it as some sort of training that we need to do as opposed to a thing that we're doing just to scrape by right I don't want them to think it's actually a vital useful tool in our arsenal
2: okay well i guess too because my father had been a waiter in france you know you know i think americans really ruin service because americans sort of serve you like they're your servant yeah so and and because they're so badly paid poor things as well but i've literally been in america and people have been kneeling at the table waiters kneel at the table i go in france to kneel at a table if you're a waiter even though you think it's making you more close to the customer or dropping your status or something, Mm. is like, are you insane? In France, being a server, a waiter, is a profession and there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Mm. And when you go into a cafe there, the the lowliest cafe or the highest restaurant, they're basically saying, I think, or my, my reading of it is, hi, I'm your waiter. I will do everything you want, but I will not do anything you want. Do you know what I mean? Like I know this place, I know how it works, I will get you everything you need but you won't be treating me like a garçon come over here kind Mm. of situation. And I think the Americans have really ruined that because there's an expectation that the customer is king and not if they're being unreasonable, not if they're being rude. And I know that there are rude waiters and stuff as well but – yeah, the French don't see it as something you do between jobs. So I guess I never felt it was something I was doing between jobs. I felt it was something I was very good at and um, and worked in all kinds of different establishments and fancy ones and not fancy ones and – yeah, I don't know. I just think it made it makes you. I don't know. I think I feel like it made me very resilient.
1: Can we talk for a minute though about French cuisine and French culture? Because of course, your dad was born in France. You were born in France as well. You spent the first two years there. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. And then I went to a French school in Sydney.
0: Oh,
1: I'm so jealous. Well, Tegan's
0: been <laughs> Tegan spent the better oh. part of uh, on and off for several years trying to learn French. And well, it's
1: Tegan. It's, Mostly all I learned was about verbs and something I hadn't learned before. But no, it's I've, I've stopped for the past six months. So um, it's all gone mm-hmm. away again, but I, I do hope to pick it up. But I mean, again, you... I'm always
2: here for French conversation. Je suis là, je vais t'aider. I can help you. True. Thank you.
1: Well, I will always for free, for free. My tutor got back in touch the other day, and she was she's very angry with me for not reaching oh. out. So I will get back onto her very soon. But I mean, are you are you feeling this distance between us and France at the moment? How are you going with not being able to travel back there right now? um all of look, Europe really because you're just it's such a part of your life. Yeah, Eurovision, miss that. Um
2: look, um my father very sadly passed away just before covid here in Sydney uh, oh. and luckily I suppose we were able to have a funeral which was amazing. But part of what I wanted to do in 2020, in August, my partner and I were going to go to France because we'd never been there together. Mm. We were going to celebrate his 60th and I was then going to scatter some of my dad's ashes in his hometown. So that will have to wait. And I have like a sort of a uh, odd, well, you know, I I know my family in Aix-en-Provence in the south of France Mm. and it's, it's it's a tricky one when you don't see them regularly, right? So... I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm just dying to get back over there. We did have a mission, certainly, but more and more I genuinely feel like in post-COVID times if there is going to be a situation, which I really wouldn't be surprised, where they say, well, only a certain amount of people can fly per year mm. because we want to really reduce our carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera, I will happily never go anywhere again because I've been away so much. And I just want to go, let the young people go, we've never been. Or let that, you know, retired couple that have saved up money all their lives to travel and go. And that's the beauty of food, though, because you can make some of that food in Australia and go, well, this is what it feels like to be there. But, look, there's no doubt that the genes in the food in a country so let's say the wheat in France Mm. is different to the wheat we get here the dairy in France is different to here and you often hear of people who say they are celiacs or lactose intolerant and they go to France and all of a sudden they seem to be able to eat that food okay and you're like well either you're a liar or (laughs) there is there is something maybe in the genes, it's so old, you know, the the, the genes, genes is not the word I'm looking for, what's in food, um, genetically, anything genetically modified within it, if you know yes. what I mean. Mm. It's so old and real and, you know, untouched by something, I don't know, but apparently, you know, maybe that's why the stuff tastes better, I don't know, but... Uh, I do love the way they eat and I like how they sit down to eat and I like how vegetables are important in every meal. And, yeah, I do have, I guess, certain principles around food that I got from my, my dad and my French-loving mum.
1: So what are you actually doing then lately to travel with food? Because it, it does sound mm. like it's, you know, it's it's working a treat in that case. I, you are You're the first person I've ever spoken to, not ever, but since COVID started that mm-hmm. has actually gone I would be happy not to travel again. I find this this fascinating. Yes. So you you must be yep. in something real good. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I guess I
2: guess I've travelled so much because of, say, Eurovision. Yeah, where I go away once a year, and I didn't travel at all in my th- in my thirties. Really, this all happened in my forties. I'm really, I don't want to go all deep, meaningful on you, but I'm really feeling the weight on my shoulders of what are, what are, what are people going to, young people going to dream about yeah. if they can't go anywhere, right? And I feel like, honestly. I could die tomorrow, having gone to some amazing places, eaten some amazing, gone to some amazing places, eaten some amazing meals, had amazing love stories, had amazing friends. It's fine, but I just think that what is a new budding performer? Let's say, where yeah. the hell are they going to perform now? What's going to get them excited? Um, what about the middle? I don't know. I just, I just feel like if at some point they're going to say, "Well, only a certain amount of people can fly every year," I'm happy to stand down because I feel nervous about flying again. I feel nervous about getting back and forth and maybe catching COVID. And part of me goes, "Well, I'm 54. Maybe I'm done." We live in a beautiful country. I'm happy to travel to places I've never been to in Australia, even though. We have travelled a lot with my TV show Home Mm. Delivery, and with Rockwiz, we've toured a lot regionally with Rockwiz. So, yeah, and that's—I might not have said that two years ago, but certainly in COVID times, I just really, I really think, what are what are young people dreaming about, and and what can they set their futures and hopes to? I guess
1: I think that's Mm. an incredibly beautiful way of looking at it. And if it's anything, um, I I think in COVID, everybody has had those moments of feeling a bit woe is me. And a bit, mm. you know, a lot of lamenting about their situations. And I, I get stuck in that. And I went out to the pub about a week ago. Uh, no, it would have been a little bit earlier before lockdown with a friend who is a high school teacher. Mm. And we were looking at it through the eyes of of um, what it must feel like to have been in year 11 or year 12 and have mm. no contact with your schoolmates. Or mm. to be just at that point where you were just about to go into university or just mm. go out there into the world and have it all closed down and and we're all going through struggles but i i had a really similar thought of going yeah, I've I've I'm I'm okay in this moment to sit in my apartment with my husband and mm. to cook, and that's and that's all right because I have had a lot of things before that, and um yeah, it's interesting. I've I've not heard anybody else talking about it quite that way, so it's yeah, it's lovely. It's I think it's a really nice way of looking at
0: it. But let's say we go back two years, and uh, you know, before you had this sort of watershed moment, Julia, were there any moments? Yes. Um, were there any countries that you had on your kind of like? must-see bucket list before all this stuff you know, fell. Yes. Like, other there oh, and, yes. and do you think uh, it would be possible with a bit of evangelizing and a bit of talking to kind of reignite that fire in you? Did you like where haven't you been that you are dying to go?
2: Okay, well, if it was before COVID times, yeah. I would certainly go back to France. No doubt, I would happily go and sit um, anywhere in Paris. And I know that's a cliche, but it is an absolutely beautiful town, and it's beautiful from every angle. And I feel like I'm in a film, and I speak the language, so I understand what's going on. Uh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. I've been to Denmark a lot, which I love too because my partner's Danish and I love the vibe there, but I've not been to Iceland. Oh, That's where I'd like to go, yeah. I would love to go to Reykjavik. I'd love to find Björk to do a home delivery.
1: (laughs) That would be so (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: I mean, because you, you know so much of her. A lot of her music is is so. She talks a lot about landscape, and you, we know that landscape made a big is a big part of her. So to walk along some kind of barren, volcanic, black kind of you know mountain and have her talk about her music. Oh my god! With a little bottle of something. Oh yes, please. But can you
0: imagine? <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking. I mean, first of all, we have to get Bjork on the show. And we have to get you on the show with Bjork. But oh my I mean, god! How much of a destination and your desire to travel to it? comes down to the food in that place so i couldn't tell Heaps. you really because i i know for you <laughs> but i couldn't tell you what i couldn't what is icelandic food like Do you yeah know what they no eat? i mean
2: sure paul tegan i'm not going there for the food that's absolutely correct i'm going there for the vibe and no you will not get anything fresh there so i would say and even denmark they've yeah i mean you know 20 years ago you'd be lucky to have some garlic in any dish there. That's not their vibe either. They're very simple. No, Italy. Italy is the place to go for food. I mean, and in my final dish, you know, that I'll tell you about, um, even though it's not technically Italian, but, I mean, anything with tomato or roast tomato in it, that sort of – that People say there's an, anum, an umami flavor to tomato or baked tomato. That is my jam and mm-hmm. uh, I would go any, oh, my God, anything. It's also fresh and olive oily and olivey and greeny and, oh, my God, the tastes are unbelievable and pasta is delicious and, yeah, I think Italy would be the place I haven't been there enough I've got to say but um any kind of italian food in in that way and the south of france in a way has its italian vibe so the north of france certainly has the colder weather and the richer sauces and a lot of creamy stuff and but the more you south you go and close to uh, Marseille, which is a port town where they make bouillabaisse, and it can only taste, it It tastes a certain way there because they're using certain fish from a salty sea like the Mediterranean. You know, that would be magical. I'd love to go, go back there. And they have, certainly have like an Italian influence there on on the side, there on the right-hand side of the country uh, where I'm from and my dad's from. So, yeah, that's where I'd go for food. No, I don't think I'll be getting anything fresh in
0: Iceland, no. <laughs> you're there for the barbs. Björk is so esoteric, but I can't see her eating. I think she kind of just uses photosynthesis or something. I think
1: she vibes just from, yeah, yeah, flowers. I don't know. I'm not sure. Are music feeds her? Music feeds exactly. her. Exactly. Singing
0: feeds her. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: place that you probably would like to travel to just for the vibes and not so much the food. In fact, I know this because this is somewhat how you and Paul got to know each other. Uh, So you both started chatting online, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were both mm. fanning out, crushing, if you will, on the mm. actor I'm
0: Douglas Henshelman. Douglas, yes. who oh. is the
1: lead of the incredibly wonderful television oh. show Shetland. Is that correct? Is that yeah. how you both know each other? Yeah. I mean, I,
2: I do look for the occasional person online uh, that might be into Shetland. I mean, I'm not going to shove it down people's throats, but, I, I mean, you know, I mean, Paul, you'll agree with me that Shetland, the islands, and where the, where they film that show, it's not unlike Iceland.
0: No, it's not. But, I mean, part of the reason I want to go there is, I, you're right, I wouldn't want to go for the food. I want to go there to see Jimmy Perez swanning around with his beautiful peacoat. Yes. Oh, what, what oh, what a prince.
2: what a time. Oh, but, God. I mean, I reckon the seafood would be great there. So I guess if, you know, if I, and I really do like seafood, I'd be interested in that. Keep it you know, keep it simple, everyone. There must be a nice fancy restaurant there. You and I know so. I've heard that you I've heard that you and Tegan enjoy fish and chip as well. You like a bit of fish and chip. And yeah, you know, that I love the idea of going to many, many towns just ordering the same meal and going, How do you do your fish and chips? or how do you do your chocolate mousse? And suss it out. But um, oh Shetland. I mean, I love it. I love the accent, I love the darkness, I love the ruggedness. Like you said, that the, the peacock.
1: I didn't even know it was a place. I thought it was only a pony, and then I, stopped, I just, <laughs> I, I didn't realize. I was like, "Oh, what's this place? Shetland? I, it's a, it's a whole. There's a whole other island above Scotland. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even know. I wonder yeah. if people have that about Tasmania, and they go, "I mean what? I,
2: it, look, it's the vibe of it, definitely the vibe, you know, where you those sea towns and also when you watch a lot of Danish TV shows, which we all have and, I mean, I adore as well, they're always going up to Greenland to do something. Mm. So there's this, oh, how far are you going to go? Will you get back in time? And, you know, the cops are coming. Oh, no, we are got to get the national cops versus the federal cops versus the local cops and they're all coming back and forth. And doesn't Jimmy Perez hate that when people come in to tell him what to do? Um, no, I love that show. I love
1: it. Oh, great. Well, we can start up maybe a fan club. You Uh, you guys can have the Jimmy Perez fan club and we'll have the Tosh fan club because I bloody love Tosh. I love Tosh.
0: Oh, you so I do have a, a confession to make. I just tweeted at Douglas and asked him to come on the show. Now, you did not. I did. Here's the problem. If he comes on the show, uh, we'd like to formally invite you on to be a co-host. If you'd like, if you'd like <laughs> oh to come my on God. with us.
2: Oh, my God. We've got to do a Zoom so we can all see. I see his beautiful face. I just want to say, the other thing I love about Tosh and Jimmy Perez is that relationship. I think we spoke we spoke about it on on, my, on yes. Twitter, yes, um, we did. didn't we, Paul? But it's that notion of... Um, this woman who works with him who he never condescends to never patronizes mm. really supportive and they're just they're mates but they're workmates and you know sometimes people tweet i wish they'd get together and i'm like are you insane do you not get the vibe of what's going on here they they're equals in measure, in different measures I mean, it's very strange when people suggest things like that
1: they're a great great team i Agree, and this is rare for me to say because whenever I'm watching a television show, I'm like, just kiss. I <laughs> want people to get their pants off right away. And you know I you
0: can kiss without getting your pants off,
1: right? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Oh, but I mean.
2: Tegan, he does need to find love, though. I mean, it's getting ridiculous now. I mean, you know, he's
1: a, yeah, he's missed out. He absolutely needs to find love, and I'm all there for that. But I completely agree with you. It's not Tosh. Not it's a, not him, Tosh.
0: Him getting, no. Jimmy Perez Jimmy getting together with Tosh is like Inspector Gadget getting together with Penny. Like, it's not right. Oh,
1: Paul, you've bought all the goods there. That's nice what you've done there. That's lovely. Well, this makes me feel good, though. I like that you've got the love of this show, Shetland, oh. because I'm hoping that we can, you know know evolve out oh. as yet unnamed island which you're now trapped on and we didn't set that up at the beginning and i find that ironic no. that by talking about forgetting lines we forgot to tell you that you're on our island <laughs> now um, i i love welcome. that i'm on your island and and we
2: love islands we've talked about the shetland islands i mean you know maybe we could call you show, show the shetland dish Shetland oh. Island, Shetland Island, Shetland Dish, can't the say Shetland it. Dish Island. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. Jimmy will love it. Oh, he will, definitely. I did have a suggestion for your for your show because I did hear on a couple of other podcasts that you're looking. So you know there's a dish. I don't know if you've ever heard of that
1: dessert floating islands. I feel like this might have been a very 70s mm. dish. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely correct, Egan. Um, it's in France. It's called Île Flottante, which is just floating island. And I first had it in Corsica, where my godparents used to live, which is just off the side of France. It's like the Tasmania to Australia, off into the off the side, the little island. This lovely, my godmother's mother made it, and it came out, and I thought, oh my god, what is that? Mm. And it was like a big dish of custard more like a an anglaise a crème anglaise a bit more watery than a crème patissière it was like a custardy custardy sea and in the sea this yellow sea are these floating meringue but not even hard meringue it's like egg whites that they've kind of sweet egg whites that they've kind of steamed or boiled and then they treacle and they sort of drizzle this sort of treacly caramel over the top and you look at it and you go that looks disgusting And it's quite delicious because it's a little bit floaty and a little bit um, foamy and a little bit chewy and a little bit sweet and then you get all this yummy custard. So floating islands is what you could call it.
1: I quite like that because we are a floating island. We are unmoored. We (laughs) might look disgusting, but there is some goodness when you really dig in.
0: Yeah, the problem is, of course, our islands have a kind of crunchy finish, whereas these meringues sound like (laughs) we
1: could we could toast them. Get one of the little air flame, the the little you know, those little things that everybody has. The blowtorch things. Yeah, yeah, those one of those things that I've got to get just because I want to own a blowtorch.
2: I know, don't you want? And and I find so. Do you have to go to a a, um, a hardware store to get it? Is that what you get, or do they have special cooking ones?
1: I think they have special cooking ones. I'm hoping that we're not just all going Ripley on our, you know, creme brulees. He keeps getting
0: into a lotus suit to make meringues. It's... <laughs> Well, speaking of food, uh, would you be kind enough to kind of give us your desert island dish? I'm so curious as to where it's going to hail from and what it's going to be.
2: A desert island dish, um, you kind of go, well, what would you go-? I mean, you know, we've all had, you know, I mean, I had a Reuben sandwich in New York that I will still say is the most delicious thing I've ever had. Mm. I had some strange kind of dried, crusty, delicious sort of... There's another word for it, pig fat, that you would get in winter in Romania. I went volunteer teaching there and I thought this will be disgusting and I loved it. Um, you know, there's the classic steak frites that you get in France. Mm. You know, I love open Danish sandwiches. I love any of that smorgasbord, smearball kind of situation. But like I said earlier, I can't really go past anything that's got a tomato-y, basil feel Yep. and i just think if it's something i have to eat for the rest of my life is that correct like that's yep. part of it isn't it yeah, yeah and if it's something to it's something to that um i mean you want to be a regular don't you i mean i'm not going to go there <laughs> right and just eat rubbish i'm not um so i was thinking now i love the, i got this i found this on my favorite cooking website one of my favourite. I don't know if you heard of it. Can I say? Am I allowed to yeah, say Oh, my gosh. Yeah, please yeah. do. She's called Smitten Kitchen and she's a New Yorker and she has a little kitchen, a little flat in New York with a family and she just, it's just the loveliest website. It's so accessible and it's so fun. And um, I recently discovered this dish that I'm in love with and go with me it's, do you know what faro is? It's like a barley, basically. And I, I didn't want it to be rice. I didn't want it to be pasta. Faro, will keep you regular. You watch. Anyway, faro. So it's like a barley. It's hard. And then you have to boil it or cook it with a liquid to kind of plump it up and make it delicious. And it's a little bit chewy. And I quite like that. I like a little bit of a give on, you know, you're going to really work for your, you Uh, for your meal and it's a baked farro with summer vegetables Mm. so basically it's you fry off some onion and then some corn kernels some zucchini cut up small and then you make this kind of sauce with tomatoes you put tomatoes and onion in there you add a bit of white wine a bit of tomato paste and at the last minute you put in some uh, stock and some of the farro and then you bake it So, the whole thing goes in the oven. So, I'm thinking on my island, I would always have a fire going and I'd have a good, sturdy, hopefully, plate, you know, thing that I could cook in, like a big sort of uh, cast iron pot. And you sit it in there and you need a lid. And so you're half cooking the farro and letting it infuse with all the liquid, but then you let it burn a little bit. So you get that crunchy bottom, and then at the last minute you add parmesan and and mozzarella. So then when you eat it, there's this crunchy kind of base There's that delicious, crazy-making baked tomato flavour that I go crazy for, and there's basil in there as well. And then you get all the playfulness of a pizza with the mozzarella chewy coming out of it like that. You can add some black olives if you want. I'm, I'm not precious. It's up to you. Make it your own. And it is delicious, and it's so delicious you can eat it cold the next day and go, you know what? That still tastes good. And I'm also hoping I could separate all those individual ingredients I mean, I don't know if you give us those ingredients to do every day, but you could also make them hot or cold because, you know, you're not going to want a beautiful hot meal when it's hot. Um, So this can be hot and cold. So it would be baked farro with summer vegetables, which I would say is Italian if anything. Sure, yeah.
0: sure. But I mean, one of the interesting caveats there was that you said it made you regular. You were the only person yeah. to date on the island who has thought about their health while picking their <laughs> meals.
2: Oh, always, because I'm quite practical in that way. Food's medicine. You eat good food, and by that I mean you know, you can eat fancy stuff. I put cream in my coffee, like real cream, don't get me wrong. Do you really? Thing, oh, yeah. Wow. Do you know in America that half and half stuff? Mm-hmm. Half and half. Like you go to the coffee shop and you'll get a cup of joe and they say, oh, we take some half and half. And I was like, what's that? Half cream, half milk. You what? Yeah. Give some, give me some of that. I now, didn't know I've, that's what they were having in that. Yes. So I can, I've tried to make half and half. It doesn't really work. But, um, but if you just make a really nice strong long black and you add a little dollop of, you know, pure cream, not thickened cream. Oh, I mean, it's so good. So I'm all for have a bit of everything, but you know, if you eat well, you know, and if you, you know, if you if you keep yourself, you know, a bit active and stuff, you shouldn't need to go to the doctor too much. Well, that just, I mean, that sounds so French. It is bon, c'est, c'est très français. <laughs> tu comprends? Bien it? sûr que c'est français. <laughs> tu, tu, you're absolutely right. Ah oui, je, je comprends. <laughs> yeah, oh, I voilà, <laughs> I knew oh my
1: god! Just, guys... All that money went for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understood that one sentence. Yes, yeah. uh... oh, so understand. <laughs>
0: Say something, Tegan, say something else in French
1: Uh, Come on, Tegan, come on Uh, J'essaie de prendre le français Uh, I guess I I wouldn't say le français Would would I say... No, no, you would, you le français You are completely Uh, correct Mais uh, je ne... Yeah, no, that's it, I just, I freaked
2: out No, you're you're on your way, you're on your way You've got the blueprint in your head You just need to watch some movies, I reckon Watch, um, you know, Call My Agent Over and over again
1: Oui, Oui, très bien I can't wait. 10 Oh, my God. You even knew the French title? I did. Except oh. I think what I did, I I, I buggered it up because I, I've set my <laughs> Netflix to French, so I don't know what anything's about. I just have to guess. But um, it had translated Call My Agent, so it's Appelé Mon Agent, and I was like, oh, oh it must be called that, but it's 10%. Anyway. Oh, that is funny. When I know we can't keep you much longer. That dish is just, it just seems like it's so nourishing both emotionally and And also physically as well. It seems like it's just ticking all the boxes. But you, in the lead up to your, the reveal of your dish, you did mention something which I was quite fascinated with. Of course, it's the steak fruits in Paris. Mm. Paul and I, whenever we go... And we're hoping that we can go again in the future. I do too for you. I do. Where Where is that? Because we go there and we try to find the good restaurants oh. and I feel that we are suckers. We are tourist suckers. Yes. How do you, How do you when you go overseas, figure out where the good food is and the tourist traps?
2: Correct. Look, I tell you what, um, you really need to know someone there yeah. and you will say to them, you know, and that, that never lets you down. So you've really got to find a friend or find a friend who has a friend and say, get me started. You know, a standard good cafe should be able to do a steak frites, but of course sometimes you don't get it. But I once went down the Champs-Élysées where all those fancy brasseries are and you're thinking, oh, don't go there, how daggy. And I thought, no, bugger it. And I was seeing a, a young man at the time and uh, we went there and uh, I wanted to be in that atmosphere where they come and serve you at the table and they kind of serve it all up for you. And mm. it really was like old school French you know, um, theatre of seeing the youngest, youngest apprentice watching the older, you know, waiter serve at the table doing silver service. It was great. We loved it. They pulled the table out for you. You get in there, you sit down. I mean, I was in absolute heaven. It was a beautiful sunny day outside. Mm. It was about, you know, we finished this beautiful steak, frit and simple, and had had some delicious red wine. Anyway, we're sitting there and the restaurant was emptying out. It was about 3 o'clock. And I was thinking, I don't think this day can get any better. I mean, we've literally had the most perfect thing. And this was in a brasserie on the Champs-Élysées that you would think, don't ever go in there, it's too daggy. But you're like, oh, we've got, I've saved my money, I'm going to go and do this thing. And who should walk in but Harrison Ford and (gasps) Calista Flockhart. Piss off. No. I know. I know. Couldn't believe myself.
1: Wow. Did you say anything or did you keep it? No, no, Tegan, I didn't want to feed that one. That's so good of you. Well done.
2: What did they order? So... Good question. So they go and sit down, sort of a bit behind us at this table. I'm literally saying to my friend, "You're joking? Oh my god, that's Harrison. That is Harrison Ford, who really hand Solo for me was the major crush of my life at yeah. um, 15 years of age. I was, I mean, I enjoyed a bit of Ally McBeal, and indeed had done a parody of her in uh, Totally Full Frontal. So you know, <laughs> I'd been there. And but you are going, oh look, let them come in, let them sit down, and you just sort of can't believe it's them. You can't believe they're there. And they had a cheeky little cake each. So I think he had some kind of eclair situation. might have been some kind of eclair, something puff pastry-ish. could have been a religieuse, you know, that's that yummy one where it's a round kind of shrew Mm -hmm. uh, with the yummy custard. I don't know what she had. I couldn't see from where I was sitting. But I did notice he had a little earring. Oh. (laughs) He had, you know, when you go... You know, just a little stud, like a little diamond stud. Anyway, it took everything I had not to go over, but I just wanted to be that cool person that didn't go over and go, oh, my God, I totally love your work. You're amazing. No, it was just knowing that Harrison and Carlista were behind us.
0: When I I interviewed Harrison Ford for the Force (gasps) Awakens junket and, um, yeah, I had this weird morning where I was really nervous and a friend of mine had given me a Valium. And, oh, my God. Yeah, and I'm in this, like, five-star hotel at The Rocks, and one of the people, you know, handling the PR thing was like, do you want to have a drink? And so I had a drink, and then I took a Valium, and if you watch the interview, you can see me getting more and more relaxed throughout the interview. <laughs> but, but the one thing that held my attention the entire time was that earring. He was wearing He was wearing the
2: yeah, he was wearing earring. Yeah. Thank Yeah. I think he thinks it makes him hip. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. What was he like, though, Paul? Was he, you know, because he's, you know, well-known for being quite a punish as an interviewee. uh,
0: He was great. He actually really liked me. And I think part of the reason that he liked me, I think, is because I did. Was it because
2: you were off your face?
0: (laughs) Seriously, I urge you and the listeners to go and watch this interview because my posture and my physicality change demonstrably. I I think one eye is half shut by the end. (laughs) It's not great. What happened was basically I, I started talking about things that weren't Related to the movie. And I think mm. one of the things we try and do on Dish is talk about, and we try and go off topic, but with you, food is just such a natural language for you that it's been hard to stay away from the food talk. So, <laughs>
2: and, and look, I've listened to a few of the podcasts, I listened to Celia's uh, and Melissa. Mm. And uh, can I just have one, can I just say one more thing about fussy eaters? Yes, please. Because you've got an issue, haven't you, Paul? Oh, yes, yes. Tell me about that. What, what, what's your issue?
0: Um, Look, I acknowledge that some people have allergies. That's fine. Mm. I just mm. think fussy eaters are the worst. Like, why would you not yeah, try everything, right?
1: Tom Gleason 100%. has a really great bit of comedy about it that you refer back to a fair bit, Paul, which, um, what do you call them? Unsmacked children. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fucking eat it. Eat your fucking vegetables. Just oh, try something. 100%. Yeah, yeah.
2: Look, life has fundamentally changed in the last 10, 15 years where you are just terrified to cook anything. Because everyone has allergies or gut problems. And I actually think a lot of them are fundamentally real. I mean, I think it's true because we're eating all sorts of other rubbish, you know. Mm. But I do think that the funny eater, the fussy eater, is that if you haven't grown up being offered strange and interesting foods regularly, because, you know, they often say with kids, if you put it down once and they never eat it, that's not good enough. Put it out all the time. Yeah which is why you should try not to make food for your kids different to you. You make what you like and they can have some of it. That's what I say. You make what you like, have some. So that they might taste an oyster every now and then or they might have a little bit of a play with stuff that has a little bit of spice, a little bit of something. And I think a lot of fussy eaters have not had that experience of eating. Like My parents used to get artichokes. And like full artichokes and you boil them up and they would eat all the leaves. They'd eat the leaves and scrape all that off and dip it in yummy sort of salad dressing. And then when they got to the heart, which is the best part, they would mash that up and give it to me. Right. So to have had the taste of mushed up delicious artichoke heart as a baby and a toddler, I don't know. I reckon it opens up your, your taste. Buds. And, you know, and, and artichokes weren't fancy in France. They were just, you just grow them in the garden. There they were. It was not a fancy thing mm. like it is now. So I think sometimes fussy eaters have not had that, that little thing open, And sometimes it's emotional, fussy eating. You know, it's, it's, it's very tricky. But, yeah, then there's those people who go, I don't eat bacon, and then you see them having a bacon burger somewhere and you're very angry because I had put bacon in that delicious frittata and I had to make something different for you. I'm pretty annoyed
1: about it. It's
0: just the word frittata made them panic, I think, you know.
1: <laughs> God well, thank you so much. What, what are you off to cook today? Have you got anything fun that you're cooking this evening? Look, I did make a delicious osso buco yesterday.
2: Uh, and uh, gee, the osso buco doesn't that just keep on giving? Uh, reheating. Anything, something's reheated. Wow, they get better and better. Mm. So I think tonight I'm going to ragu it up a bit. I'm going to make it a little bit more, you know, just pull it all apart. Mm-hmm. And we might have it with pasta. Lovely. And have like an or like a pasta or oh something. Oh my God, that
0: sounds divine. Well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, good. you think that's what you're having, but actually uh, you're having a your farro because that's you're trapped. That's right, you're now. trapped. Yep. I keep oh, yeah. forgetting. I'm I keep forgetting.
1: <laughs> Still, yeah, i will glad... send you the recipe. <laughs> yes, please do. Share your recipe. Uh, for now, or I'll give this a go. Uh, merci beaucoup uh, pour votre temps. And oh. j'aime votre travail or would it be j'adore i always get confused with the Gem versus j'adore but anyway i do love your Mate, work so and... do
2: i but i, I lo- i'll take both
1: <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us and and for agreeing to give up your life and come and spend it on our floating island yes
0: welcome to this hellhole
1: <laughs> oh tegan paul this has literally been the highlight of my week to be able to talk
2: about food to two lovely people in this crazy COVID downtime
1: Gosh, Julia was absolutely lovely. I'm so glad we spoke with her, Paul. And I tell you what, I've not heard, since COVID started, Mm. I have not heard anyone speak as... Selflessly? Selflessly about travel. And it sort of got me thinking about the food analogy of the whole thing. Mm. Julia is the first person I've, I've spoken with who has actually gone... These are the things I've enjoyed and I've had the opportunity to savour in my life. But you know what? I had enough on my plate.
0: Yeah, she has a, a very healthy lifestyle version of, like, portion control. Because, for example, whenever I make pasta, I don't stop serving it. I just keep going because it's there. Whereas she's going, you know what? I've, I've had enough.
1: But she's not even done that. She's now gone, I believe it's somebody else's turn to come to the table and yeah. to enjoy this and to share. Mm. It's um, It's a really lovely way of looking at things. I don't know if I'm there quite yet. I get this thing that whenever I see another country on television, no I get this little dull thump in my stomach. It's like I'm missing a person. No,
0: that's that's gastro. <laughs> You're very sick.
1: It's all the bad bread I'm baking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all this weird cheap sweet weevil-ridden bread.
1: So before I do any of that, I am truly madly deeply excited because next week we have a very incredible guest. I knew I loved him before I met him.
0: Hang on. I think I see what you're doing here.
1: I, uh, I would go to the moon and back for this guest. And he's got big news. We're so excited to share it with you. So make sure you tune into next week's episode of Dish to hear from the man who wrote the famous song about cannonballs, Or maybe it's cannibals. It's cannibals. It's, it's cannibals?
0: Well, we're on an island where we talk about food, so I think cannibals is probably appropriate.
1: Must have been cannibals. Yeah.
0: Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island.
1: Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network.